Hi everyone, welcome to the Muscle Nerd Podcast. I'm Gus Cook, Head Powerlifting Coach of Lifters League. And in today's episode, we have a special guest, Victoria Felker. She is the world leading researcher in women's health and female hormone manipulation within sport and medicine. She's a practitioner, consultant, author, and educator. She has spoken all over the world, including the Great Swiss Symposium and Canada. She has worked with some of the most elite athletes from the Olympics through to Olympia. Today, we are going to speak about females using performance enhancement drugs, or more specifically, anabolic steroids. Now, I am not for or against the use of steroids, but like any other drug, I believe in risk management, health optimization, and education. It is the only way we're going to combat the stupidity of misinformation. Steroids are going to be used in this industry whether we like it or not. But I hope from this podcast we can get women and men to critically think about their decision to use performance enhancement drugs. Before we start, I'd like to thank Victoria for giving her time today for this extended episode of the Muscle Nerd Podcast. So without further ado, here was our session. Welcome to the Muscle Nerd Podcast. Presented by Lifters League, bringing real science to the strength community. Introducing your host, Gus Cook, head powerlifting coach of Lifters League, strength athlete, physicist, educator, and entrepreneur. Uh, welcome to the Muscle Note Podcast. This is Gus Cook, and today we have a special guest, Victoria. Tell us about yourself, Victoria. Hello. Um, oh, that's such a loaded question. I am a researcher at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada, but I don't live in Vancouver anymore, which is just adds, uh, adds confusion to my whole story. But um, I study specifically women in steroids. Um, that's the name of my, my doctoral work, actually. Um, I figured I'd keep it simple because <laughs> what I talk about is not simple at all. Um, I talk about both the use of endogenous estrogen, progesterone, and androgens, but also, um, well, I talk about endogenous estrogens, progesterones, and androgens, but the use of exogenous estrogens, progesterones, and androgens as well. Mm-hmm. So different types of hormonal dysregulation, dysfunction um, within female athletes, um, whether it is hyperandrogenism, um, PCOS, all the way to... Um, functional hypothalamic amenorrhea so when a female's body is just really really stressed and she loses her period well why um what's the underlying issues um and then how that influences not only their sport performance but also their body over time and the protocols that are usually used within conventional medicine to kickstart that and how those protocols often can be detrimental to sport performance Mm. um and then on the more pharmaceutical side um I look at both the use of so birth control. I hate the I hate the word birth control because it just means so many things. But um, specifically, oral contraceptives, uh, usually estrogens and progesterones, uh, to manipulate menstruation for sporting purposes. It's something that gets done a lot, but it does not get talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have that end of it, and then I also have the the big bad book on women and anabolic steroids and so looking at preconceived notions around anabolics um kind of the the myths and the legends that surround them within both medical culture but also pop culture and how what we as a society think about women and anabolic use really isn't the story there's such a big deep backstory 
um, that has not only influenced our um, like medical guidelines. So a lot of times, even like the International Endocrinology Society has these very strict guidelines on prescribing. Um, within the sporting world, we have these very closed views of like. Um, Men, you know, there might be benefit, but they're still going to be banned. But women and children, well, actually, women and young boys, young girls don't take them at all. But women and young boys, don't touch it ever. It's almost like a death wish. And that's kind of like this this propaganda that's been within our sporting literature since the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how that has influenced athletes' perspectives, um, coaches, yeah. doctors, policymakers, mm-hmm. uh, throughout time and throughout history, because it really has been... I guess a battle of ignorance almost. Um, and even now within 2018, our clinical guidelines for certain diseases that could actually benefit from the use of mm-hmm. anabolic androgenic steroids, especially for women, um, they just don't get prescribed. Um, Do, you think it's the taboo? Have- Do you think it's the taboo mm-hmm. on it? Do you think it's the ta- Do you think it's the taboo on it that makes it so hard oh, for people? Absolutely, to- absolutely. And it, and it is a bit of a bit of a, I guess, a... <laughs> It's a bit of a long backstory. It, um, it's. I think I, I like. I open up my entire doctoral work saying that the conversation of women and steroids is really complicated. Yeah. Because there's no other way to put it than that you're mixing together so many different fields. Um, so from pharmacology to reproductive medicine, gynecology, endocrinology, just the idea of like scientific thought and process, mm-hmm. um, all the way to policymakers, pop culture, athlete experiences, coaching, kinesiology, sport medicine, strength and conditioning, um, military and police and that kind of more special services. Mm-hmm. There are so many different domains that this conversation leaches into. And unfortunately, because there's so much ignorance and taboo in the current conversation, it's pervasive. And the things that we think of as being like the almost the golden rules about anabolics, like, you know, women will grow facial hair and her clit will grow and it will never turn back. It's just the way it is. Like it's, it's this inflamed propaganda. It's usually about side effects um, that nobody questions them. And then I came along and I was like, well, why? Like, why are you saying this? And and then I started peeling back the layers and finding that the research is there, believe Mm -hmm. it or not, but the research is not ever talked about. The research isn't even cited or listed. So a lot of the side effects that got mentioned, um, especially in like the 60s and 70s, and maybe you you might want me to go back and start at the beginning of this. Is there there a lot more research on men than, than women? Does that make a lot of confusion? Absolutely. Um, and often because in medical culture, there is almost, so we've lined up and this has been since like, gosh, the beginning of medicine, like we've lined up this binary that men are on this side, women are on this side, women are opposite or lesser to men in terms of their gynecology, reproductive capabilities, their strength, their power, their performance, everything. That has been the idea embedded in medicine. Even within 2018, where we now have more of an appreciation for the spectrum of difference, um, people still see that within, especially like drug protocols and prescribing stuff. And so if men, this happens in their body, like this A group of cluster of side effects and symptoms, then for women, it's going to be the opposite or it's going to be exasperated. Yeah. Um, And that's just not the case because when we think about anabolics, especially anabolics, women and men all have varying degrees of testosterone, Mm -hmm. varying degrees of androgens, varying degrees of all the different endocrine markers. 
So one drug, and this is just the endocrine markers, there's lots of other things happening within the body, um, but one drug could have a even like um, a minimal side effect on a female because she might have low androgen levels to begin with. Yeah. Whereas that same drug at the same dose will have more of an exasperated effect on another woman if her androgens or certain androgen pathways are more um, are higher to begin with, yeah. or she's got a degree of insulin resistance or metabolic, um, like a gene in there mixed in, or she was on birth control, or she's had like cut, like you know postpartum, she's had kids, or she's going to perimenopause. There's so many different things that influence whether or not somebody is going to get side effects, mm-hmm. how long those will linger. Um, the drug itself is going to play into this, the age of the individual, the reproductive and menstrual health of the individual, um, whether or not they're getting a pure drug or not. A lot of times people are getting oversaturated, undersaturated, just made in your brother, like brother's backyard bullshit <laughs> gear that's got just maybe a fraction of what should actually be in it. Yeah. That's going to change your side effects too. And that's one of the things that like, I just knock my head against my desk most of the time because researchers don't know that because they don't understand the, the backside. So you get these policy documents, you get these, um, I mean, you can go onto PubMed and you can find all these different things on illicit steroid use and all the different side effects in both men and women, mm-hmm. but they're not taking into account all the variables that you have to take into account. And I did not list off nearly enough of them. Mm. There are so many things that are going to influence this goes the s- how somebody responds to a drug. I guess this goes the same with training nutrition. There's not one thing fits all. It's all personalized to the individual and their needs. And- Absolutely. So Absolutely. And everyone's taking a cookie cutter approach. I mean, the way the way I see things, everyone everyone wants to take, everyone has their protocols for clen and bar or, but even a lot of girls being put on the same stuff as men. I mean, there's so many girls I know who are on trend, and they come oh to me and 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 the and how long it takes to get these women functioning normally again can take about. I've had some girls take it up to a year or two before we can really get some oh, yeah. real results. And there's like there's other things like I said that mix into this. So if you've got an individual like when when we think about conventional medicine, polypharmacy or the use of more than one compound happens, but it's not usually the use of more than one compound from the same pharmacology group or type. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, let's just say you've got an individual who's got, I mean, your basic executive 45 year old male that has a high stress lifestyle and eats like shit. Mm-hmm. So he's probably going to be like on a statin, a blood pressure medication, mm-hmm. um, possibly an antidepressant, mm-hmm. painkiller, so you've got more than one drug. So you do have poly, but you have different drug categories and classifications. Mm-hmm. Bodybuilders have come along and they have said, hey, let's stack you know, anabolics on anabolics with more anabolics on the side because each of these are going to do a different thing. Mm-hmm. That you start to get into problems in the male body, even with... Um, their kind of their HPG, they have hypo or HP, like so you got your HPA access, so hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access, but then you have your hypothalamus pituitary gonadal access, and that the gonadal access goes goes down to your like your testes, that's where you make sperm production, but also most of your testosterone production in men. Um, that is a really important kind of like process within the body that that can get mixed up and screwed up and manipulated in so many different ways from one drug, let alone six. Yeah. 
and your ancillaries. Mm-hmm. For women, we have um, the HPO access, so hypothalamus pituitary ovarian access. That is where our, that's our main hub for all of our sex hormone creation. And I should say all, a lot of our sex hormone creation comes from our HPO access. Now, when we take certain compounds, we castrate that. And that is the same whether it is an anabolic androgenic in higher dosages or like a higher um, ratio or birth control. Mm. So when you look at the side effects, when you look at the effects that are often associated with oral contraceptive use in terms of lipid level changes, uh, liver enzyme changes, body composition, insulin resistance, and you start to look at those and you say, okay, well, that's happening on that end. Well, those are very similar to what we're seeing in anabolic androgenic steroid users. So that's really important for people to take away is that anytime you put steroids in the body, it fucks us up. But with medicine, they're opposed to the anabolics within our industry or opposed to oral contraceptives. Mm -hmm. It's like we can't see that what we're doing on both sides really is not healthy. um, And it is about mitigating risk. It's about creating education mm-hmm. it's about also realizing that and i mean i've been in this i've been at this game for a long time now and i can't change what people are going to do mm-hmm. i can't mm-hmm. people are going to be idiots whether i get on one podcast a year 50 podcasts a year consult all day long with countless individuals and coaches go to do as many seminars as i can possibly fit in my schedule but people are still going to be assholes they're still going to be idiots and they're still going to be ignorant Um, because we've created our own base of knowledge around anabolics because the medical community wasn't giving us one. So now we think that as a community, we're the experts. That's not the case. If you dig deep enough, you can find people in medicine that know a lot about steroids. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can talk to multiple people from like different angles to learn a lot about steroids. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the average bro, they're not going to get that at all. And there's just there's just so much there's so much there's so much to learn about this and I mean what everyone's getting their information off what bodybuilding.com steroid forums. God, forums that, are the worst. Uh, like for me, forums are like the seed of all evil because going back to what I was saying about like how you don't know what you're actually taking these days. Yeah. You get people that report on their cycles, their side effects, their symptoms, their gains. And then you get somebody else who's from like a totally different um, like physiological foundational point, different age, different background, everything else. They're just a different human being. Maybe they're a first-time user and that other person was like, you know, 10 years deep into it. And they think that that's going to, like the same side effects, symptoms, results are going to happen to them with that same cycle. Mm-hmm. One person might be getting a, an incredibly pure source, another person will be getting like the the dumpster Dave lab. So it is so problematic because not only do people then start to go like, okay, well that person looks like they they look like they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're jacked. They must, they must know what they're doing. I'm going to listen to his cycle. I have abs. So get my diet. So get my diet. (laughs) Same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So I guess this covers why this is so important. Why, why this needs to be discussed. I mean, there's very conf- lot of conflicting information and there's no, I mean, most people don't know how to do their research, especially in this industry. 
I mean, everyone takes Instagram and Google Google as gospel, no matter what it says. Oh, absolutely. And so it's the doctor, like right now we're in that doctor Google generation. And I can remember, I don't know, like if, if House, if you've ever watched it or heard yeah. that show, it yeah, was like, show. right? So House, for me, I remember it came out when I was in, oh my God, end of high school now, yeah. so long ago. But um, it... Uh, it changed a lot of times what people's perception of where it was about medicine. I thought that, like, you know, you would walk into the emergency room and all of a sudden it would be like, boom, they can totally diagnose you. You have this team of physicians and they, they know exactly what's wrong with you. It's black and white. Mm-hmm. And then people get into the medical system. Um, I read a bunch of, like, medical anthropology, a bunch of stuff on medical anthropology, read a lot of different kind of books on this world because it fascinated me why people want instant expectations um, with medicine and the doctor's never right. The doctor never knows, and then they get mad at medicine. Um, and I was, I was always just so fascinated about that idea. So I started thinking about that though, or quite early on in relation to our industry and how we do the same with coaches and trainers, mm-hmm. and how we do the same with the knowledge that's out there. And so people will go to a trainer and expect them to understand their body on the inside and out instantly. Mm-hmm. And if the diet doesn't start working within the first week. They're freaking the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And they start to blame the coach. If the drug doesn't start working within the first week, they start freaking out and will change the dosing. People have such an ignorance about how long it takes to create a healthy body on the inside and out. Mm-hmm. And how when we do things like compete or use certain compounds, where it's that's actually detrimental to performance. Mm-hmm. That's doing the opposite. That's that's not even building, like our foundation isn't even built yet, and then mm-hmm. people start to just add shit in. And instead of them taking a step back and going, okay, well, what's actually going on here? I call this information literacy. I think this is one of the most important skills that people can have. Criti- information literacy and critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Information literacy is like when you get information, whether it's from somebody's mouth or from something you read, you have to ask yourself certain questions. Who is that person? Where did they get that information? Why am I listening to them? Should I be listening to them? Mm. Do they have stuff to back up that knowledge? Um, How does that knowledge apply to me as an individual? And if it doesn't, how can I apply it to mm-hmm. me as an individual? Like literally just taking apart the information that we get because what we do is, it's an amazing feat. I mean, you build champion athletes. That's a phenomenal feat. Mm-hmm. But it takes effort and time and intention and knowledge. And it's not something that, I mean, your everyday Joe will know how to do on the level that's required. And there's something I've been saying lately that kind of um, that relates to this. I said, I think before to be before you're a coach, you should be a scientist first. You should be a yeah, scientist I mean, first with everything you do. A, mm. Well, be be a researcher. No, just be a researcher. Like, don't just be that person that reads abstracts. Like, mm-hmm. an abstract does not tell you anything mm-hmm. about your. I mean, they they tell you their your results, and that's usually what people do is they skim to the results. And I have gotten, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten people contacting me being like, I found this study that says the exact opposite to what you said on that podcast or in that video or at that event. That one study you found? "Hmm?" That one study you found? (laughs) Oh yeah, that one study. And then I go to them, like, I'll be like, okay, by all means, please send, because I'm more than, I am more than happy 
to have conversations um, like this with people. Absolutely. Um, I like to, like, I don't know everything. I, there, no, none of us are an expert in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be able to learn. And if I've missed something, please share it with me. Let's talk about it. Um, but if you're sending me a study that was done on rats with, say, tamoxifen, and you're seeing female rats, actually, with tamoxifen, and you're seeing a decrease of estrogen and increase of androgens for some reason, mm-hmm. that does not mean that tamoxifen or, or Novodex is an androgen. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no... You, you can't even put those things together. Like, first of all, humans aren't rats. Yeah. You're trying to apply this to yourself as, say, like a male lifter. You're not even looking at the pharmaceutical or, like, the pharmacology profile of that drug. You're not looking at the interactions it has within the body let alone the interactions it's going to have with your body. It was a similar thing that so, happened with, um, I think it was raspberry ketones when they came out. It was a, I look back yeah. at the study, it was a rat study that was on a raspberry yeah. ketones. I don't think there was any human trials. There may have been, but yeah. what they referenced was a rat study. Well, we, and we know, like, and going back to like women specifically, and we know within medicine there is a bias, there's a gender bias, mm-hmm. and that most of our drug studies, whether this is on... I mean, anything from, like, painkillers to other different types of endocrine meds, whether it's insulin or thyroid, um, all the way to our statins, our our chemo drugs. I mean, just the the profile of drugs. There's a greater amount of trials on men, Mm -hmm. and then, then those get applied to women. Women are understudied when it comes to drugs. Mm-hmm. that is scary it is something that for the last 25 years they've been trying to tackle but not only is there a ton of stuff they have to tackle everybody on this earth is different even if you have a twin mm-hmm. you are different the mm-hmm. body will adapt and react to a drug in a different way and we're heading in the right direction right now with um it's called pharmacogenetics or personalized medicine, and that's actually looking at somebody's genetic profile to do prescribing for drugs. Really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate to, to sit on some medical rounds in um, one of our big hospitals in Vancouver a couple of years ago um, with the pharmacogenetics team, and it was fascinating hearing them talking about the genetic profiles that they would run on patients, um, certain types of cancers and how they would actually treat that individual's cancer mm-hmm. with the right drug profile, the right cocktail, adjusting it like literally as they went. It's crazy. And that there wasn't any side effects. Yeah. And it's like, wow, no kidding. Like that's, that, that makes complete sense. That is uh, hopefully what we do in our industry with athletes um, when they come to us with like say a diet or training protocols that we're adjusting it. As we go, we're taking into account all these considerations. Now, with that medicine, it's still developing. It's still in its, its new years. We've just only recently finished doing the Human um, Genome Project, and we're still developing to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be a while until we get it to mainstream. I know in Canada, um, I got tried, I applied for my mom to get into a personalized medicine clinic here in Ontario, and it was about... 27 months ago and she still hasn't got a referral letter mm-hmm. so they're a little backlogged needless to say mm-hmm. um but it's coming and, and it is coming down the pipe work and there are even certain basic genetic tests that people can do um on like the 23andme like when you figure out certain snips that you might have that 
actually do influence um, at least protocols that I do or look at for people, especially when they've got really bad side effects. A lot of times people come to me to get fixed. Mm-hmm. And so when they tell me um, if they've had certain testing done, um, they show that to me along with everything else. It goes like, well, no kidding you had that. Like, mm-hmm. this is what was going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's different ways we metabolize drugs. Yeah. Very important for anabolics. Mm. This would be good to probably start going into um, maybe some recommendations for people, like what people should do before, um, while they're mm-hmm. on and coming off. So what should individuals yeah. do before they consider taking off, especially females, let's we'll, we'll focus on females, before they start taking steroids? Such a loaded question, guys. <laughs> yeah, um, wait and research, educate yourself. Do not jump in feet first to anything. Mm-hmm. That is even the drugs you get from your doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, there is... You've got to do your homework and you have to wait. Especially when it comes to performance enhancing drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, there And there is research on a lot of this stuff when it comes to athletes who engage in um, PED use at the elite level. And that... It's such a morally an ethically contentious subject that a lot of times people don't think about the hard questions before they jump in Mm -hmm. as to whether or not that fits with even their like moral and ethical code. They just jump in because they want the body, they want the gains, they want the results instead of actually sitting with it and thinking about it. They're not thinking of the long, they're not thinking of the long-term effects of this and the long-term effects of getting results. I mean, before, if someone wants to do it and it's always their choice, it's like, well, yeah. can we can we first try and see how far we can take it with making you healthy, oh, training, nutrition, and mm-hmm. you know, you can before you can consider. I mean, three, four, five years before you can make such massive progress before deciding to become, you know, an elite competitor, mm-hmm. where you know, and an elite and an elite level, you know, for some becomes a almost becomes a necessity if you agree. Um, but so they're going to take it eventually. For, yeah. So for where I'm at with like with my work and what I do for my job, I there are there are no prescribing details mm-hmm. for anything that I will ever feel comfortable giving anybody about yeah. any drug because, like I said, there's so much there's so much wrong with those prescribing details. Um, that you really have to, it comes down to that individual mm-hmm. and you have to ask yourself and again like I'm saying this goes for a lot of things if somebody is going to hop on a statin and they have not first tried to decrease their cholesterol with their own measures of cleaning up their diet reducing their stress getting sleep learning how to breathe properly you know exercising if they mm-hmm. haven't tried that first why would they go on a statin mm-hmm. like to me that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. Well, I think this is when it comes to pardon me. Oh, I was going to say though, this is almost like the difference between a reliance and using it to aid your training compared to you know mm-hmm. just completely relying. I mean, if if you if you have to rely on it, then you're forever going to have to take something to make progress. Or well, that's what the people think they have to do. They end up having to always oh, take something rather than learning about your own body, learning about how to train, educating yourself mm-hmm. on training and nutrition. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, yeah, the biggest. The biggest gift that I can give anybody who um, consults with me is the tools for them to start to understand their own body. 
Mm-hmm. That is the, like, the, to me, that is like the biggest gift that I was given. Um, and I was very fortunate to learn from a lot of amazing people. And mine had nothing to do with like gear use or PEDs. Mine had to do with my own hormonal imbalances that happened after um, I put my body through hell as a teenager, as like a performance athlete. And I was on birth control, and my hormones after all of that had, had thrown an eating disorder in there and a bunch of other stressful shit. And my body just rebelled on me, and I had no idea what it was doing at that point in time. I was in my first year of my kinesiology degree. Mm-hmm. And so I'm learning, like, in exercise physiology, the way that things are supposed to be happening, mm-hmm. and then applying it to my own body. I'm like, I don't think my body does, like, gluconeogenesis like anybody else. Is. Like, it's there is something funky going <laughs> on. And as I was get, going through my own kind of medical journey, done mm-hmm. a bunch of different specialists, bounced around here, there, and everywhere, and ended up getting paired up with... Um, my mentor and amazing colleague, uh, Dr. Eric Serrano in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I mean, as I was going through all that, I was learning, I was developing tools to figure out like how to track my menstruation. What were the biomarkers I had to be looking at? What did my blood work mean? And not within single, like this is what your ferritin levels are, but like, this is what it looks like and means in conjunction and in relation to all of these other markers because everything in the body is integrated. Mm -hmm. Um, learning not only how my strength was affected mm-hmm. but how my diet was affected how the, even just for me my anything from my appetite to the ways in which i had bloating or digestion or um like you know just not 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 able to go to the bathroom why was that happening when did that happen tracking details because when i tracked details when i tracked and started to look at this stuff i then took a step back and started to see patterns Mm-hmm. When I saw patterns, this is the same as with research. We do this all the time. This is called researching. <laughs> you see patterns, you make themes, you come together, and then you can create like a model for yourself to be able to understand what is going on. But that's still just a snapshot mm-hmm. in time. When you go through time, when you go through your life course, your hormones change, your life factors change, your stress changes, your um, education, and there's so many things that make up health, those all change over time. So that snapshot we make can only be applied to the new you. It can't be replicated. Mm-hmm. It can't be copied because the body you have today is not the one you had yesterday and it's not the one you're going to have tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So when we create all these great measures and these foundations, we have to remember we can we, all we can do is apply it. Mm-hmm. It's just like the knowledge that I have, I apply to individuals. Mm-hmm. I don't copy it. Mm-hmm. I don't cookie cutter it. I am not trying to make a batch of 12 cookies, mm-hmm. AKA 12 bikini pros. Yeah. That is not what I'm doing. That is not, and that does not work. Mm-hmm. If I try to do that and use the same kind of, let's say recipe in terms of training and diet and lifestyle changes and even within like an exercise itself, like how they're going to execute it is going to be different mm-hmm. and unique for that individual. This is why we, that is, this is why we don't mm-hmm. even with, with training nutrition, why we don't sell any programs or nutrition plans. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has to consult because every single person yeah. is different. And over time Absolutely. we learn more and more about that person. Yeah. Yeah. So we see to see what Absolutely. works. The way I train Sarah is nothing like how I train Cynthia. I mean, completely yeah. different physiology psychology it's just so many so many different variables yeah Mm. and like one of the things i do tell any individual to do whether they're a male or female and they're 
they're thinking about or they might be on something and they come to me for advice as a, as a researcher and I just say to them, take a look, like do an audit on yourself. Take a look at all the different things that make up you. Mm-hmm. Look at your stresses or your triggers on your body over time. Don't just look at them this past, say, six months. Look at them from the get-go to where you are today. Look at if you had any trauma, if you had, if you were female, did you take birth control? Have you ever actually had a regular period? Because if you haven't had a regular period, why the fuck are you going to have one after contest prep and being on X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. doing blank amount of cardio, eating blank amount of calories? Like, why would, what would you think you would have one now? Mm-hmm. That just doesn't make sense. That is not logical. That just, I mean, even statistically, you can go into algorithms for this. It does not make sense. Mm. But we, in our industry, we, we think that. It's like, you weren't healthy before you prepped. Mm-hmm. Why would you be healthy afterwards? Mm. Why? Unless somehow, even prep as brutal as it can be on in certain individuals' bodies, depending on what they're doing, um, why do you think that those actions are going to make you healthier? Mm-hmm. Like, for me, and, and I, I have, like, my own little, I guess, philosophical... I hate the word, I hate the word protocol. I hate the uh, guidelines or maybe just reality check. I mean, reality check's the best one, but that I recommend, and this goes for anybody, um, and that is that you have to build a foundation. And the way that I explain this is that if you think about... Um, if you think about athletic performance or competing or whatever it might be as being like a tornado mm-hmm. and you are a house and you're in that house and you can see that tornado coming and it's going to come and it's going to come into your path no matter if you want to for like if you want to or not it's, it's coming towards you it's inevitable there's going to be damage to some extent mm-hmm. how much damage that is depends on how well you're prepared for it mm-hmm. so if your house does not have a foundation, why do you think your house is going to make it through a tornado in mm-hmm. one piece? Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's not going to get rocked off its foundations? Mm-hmm. Like, what am I missing here that is in today's kind of world that people have this invincibility complex? Mm-hmm. Is it a pill that they take? Is it some, like, you know, YouTube motivational bullshit videos? Like, I don't know what it is, but it drives me nuts because we're not invincible. Mm-hmm. The body is resilient. It can deal with a lot of bullshit, but it is not invincible. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have that foundation, and by that I mean like if you're a female, do you ovulate? If you do not ovulate, mm-hmm. you maybe should fix that first mm-hmm. before you go and do a, say, 16-week bikini prep and that you're going to put your body under copious amounts of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are not losing weight, body fat, why? If you can't control just, what you do beforehand, then why go into it in the first place? You well, just, absolutely. But even if it's like, it's like, why? Like, why? Instead of just going, I'm not losing, like, you know, I'm fat. I need to lose weight. Well, okay. Why are you fat? Mm. Is, is it because you're eating like an asshole every day? Is it because you are eating maybe really, really well and you're training really, really hard? And you're just not dropping body fat. Have you been doing this for a while and you're still not, you know, compliance is there, discipline is there. Because if that's the case, there's something else going on that you need to figure out 
before you just throw more training and less food at the situation. Mm -hmm. If you've already done that, it's not going to work. You have to peel back the layers and go, why? Do I have insulin resistance? Am I maybe on an oral contraceptive that's kind of counteracting my efforts? Am I eating um, certain foods or certain profiles that don't actually don't actually work for me? Mm-hmm. I mean, am I eating high inflammatory foods? Am I just really stressed? Mm-hmm. Like, am I a university student and I'm working a full-time job and I'm dealing with a whole bunch of other life stresses? Because mm-hmm. if that's the case, that, you know, that plays a huge role. If I'm not sleeping mm-hmm. well or rested, that plays a massive role in fat loss. Mm-hmm. But we don't, like, like I'm saying about this whole doing a personal audit of yourself to make sure that you have what you need, not only to like have a house mm-hmm. and have a house with a good foundation, but also just to be able to weather a storm. That whole idea for me of creating like a bulletproof body, putting your armor physiologically on, making it so from your mitochondria all the way to your relationships mm-hmm. are fully supported and in a good place before you start to manipulate things. Mm-hmm. Because the second kind of thing, so for me, it's build the foundation first. The second thing is manipulate and manage what you have. Mm-hmm. Don't add anything else to the mix. Just manipulate and manage what you have. So if you are sleeping good, well, maybe you actually need to sleep more or maybe you need to work on your sleep hygiene to improve your rituals before you go to bed and also have a really good wake-up routine that's going to get your body actually you know, awake and going from melatonin to serotonin mm-hmm. because if you're not making that flip, that messes up everything inside your body. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are not, um, let's say, if you've got a really clean and good diet but you're still not dropping fat, well, start to manipulate your timing of things. Mm-hmm. Maybe change your pre-workout and your post-workout meal. Change your peri-workout nutrition. Um, try adding in different phytonutrients. Try adding in different profiles. Um, don't just go from eating like, I mean, right now this is everywhere, you eating like an asshole to then going on full-fledged keto and you're trying to choke down oysters for breakfast. <laughs> like, that's just not, it's not realistic, it's not sustainable, and it's just not smart. No. Start with the basic fundamentals, the basic tenets of healthy living. And if you are not doing the basic fundamentals and tenets of healthy living, stay there. Don't move forward. Like, yes, exactly. get those down first. Exactly. Um, that's what's going to make most... Like well, just simple. It's just like what you what you're just saying. Just to elaborate a bit more, I mean, it's just it's just those simple things that end up making the biggest progress, rather than trying to find the next fad, find the next steroid they can take, find the next supplement. Oh, for sure. Mm. And like, if you haven't manipulated and managed what you have, like, um, I mean, for management, if you're somebody that you've say done a really bad um, like post contest rebound. Mm. and you work to get your body healthy and then you go okay i'm gonna start i'm gonna go hop into a prep again i'm finally healthy mm. or i've had i've had a ovulation cycle i'm <laughs> like you gotta stay there for a while kid like you gotta you gotta you gotta foster that you gotta cultivate that it's like a garden let it grow get your foundation get your bases and then from there reestablish and reevaluate why you're competing and whether or not this actually fits with who you are today because a lot of times people's that whole process of like contest prep and then post contest prep rebound and then having to get their foundations back they see a lot of the kind of the dark side of competing and that might not be them like for them anymore but if it is 
Well, then ask yourself, like, how can I do this in a way that's going to be positive for my life? Mm -hmm. Because I know there's always going to be a negative. Mm -hmm. There is side effects of competing on the body and on your life. So you have to really, like, ask those hard questions no matter what you do. But we're either, I think we're either afraid to ask them in our industry or we're just blind to them. I think people Um, have to change a lot about their... um have to change their psychology a lot because what the in what they what everyone sees and what is reality are just completely different and we have to work really hard to try and get people to think more long term not don't think the gain yeah. they want now yeah. think the gain yeah. well think the gain in, in a few years and what you want to do for the rest of your life yeah because, oh yeah that's the last slide i usually have on my talks when i talk about women's health is that who you are today is not who you're going to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And you might want to be Miss Olympia today, but down the road, that's not going to be what you want anymore. Mm-hmm. And if anything, like I have a, I guess I have a philosophy and at least how I live my life is that the, I, the term regret is something I don't really feel or understand. Um, because I've lived with a whole heart. Like I've lived with, being intentional and critical and understanding my actions. And even when I have, like, you know, done some stupid stuff in my early 20s to my body mm-hmm. in terms of, like, overtraining and undereating, it was, I don't regret it because it was a conscious decision. Like, I was conscious. I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. It was stupid, yes. In hindsight, would I have changed things? Sure, but I don't regret it. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of women I'm hearing today regret competing or they regret going on certain drugs or they regret this and they regret that and I go like well why well I shouldn't have just you know blindly followed what my coach told me mm-hmm. and I'm like okay but that's on that's on you that's not your like it's not your coach might not be bad that's on you too both of you share responsibility and now how can you make it so this doesn't happen again like what did you learn from this lesson mm-hmm. um and so just going back to my little model thing that I use um once you've managed to manipulate your variables then comes enhancement and it's not just performance enhancement this is like variable enhancement so if you think about like a very basic i guess metaphor or way you can think about this in terms of training is like you would not put a lifter in a squat suit in a monolith getting them to do a one rep max if they've just learned how to squat yeah or if they've just been able to squat, you know, I don't know, 60% of their, um, whatever their one rep goal was, or if they're still getting the, the, the basic tenants down, mm-hmm. you would not do that. Like that would just be stupid. Mm. So why are we doing that with our nutrition and with supplements and with PEDs? Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Like if you think about how long, like crap, I've been lifting since I was, 15, I've been lifting for 14 years now. Mm-hmm. I have never, even even when I was in the powerlifting more world, I never competed in powerlifting, but I was freaking strong and I was training with a bunch of powerlifters and I was going down to um, like elite FTS in Columbus. I never once did a one rep test. Mm-hmm. The really? only one I did it on was um, my bench and that's because I actually like trained for it specifically yeah. but it was not my body wasn't ever there yet like mm-hmm. I knew that when I was squatting there was a lot of things that I still had to work on 
to be able to take myself there. And it wasn't just like my form. My nervous system was shot half the time because I was doing a degree. Um, I was having to still work on the mechanics of like my hips. I was a dancer growing up. And so my, my hips just never felt like they were like rock solid to be able to handle that type of stress. Now I did threes, um, not to like a, a full threshold, but I did threes all the time, but to kind of take that to the next level of challenging myself uh, and putting my body under that much stress, even if it's only for a couple seconds, I wasn't there. I didn't, I hadn't managed and maintained it long enough. Um, or for me, um, like meticulously enough to be able to say, okay, I'm ready for this mm-hmm. because I know what, what happens if you're not ready for the top step. Mm-hmm. It's just <laughs> shit storm you're walking into, right? Like mm. for blood and kneecap, um, herniated disc can treat completely just trash your body in under 10 seconds. Yeah, but that's the fun bit, isn't it? <laughs> oh, for some, but for others, it's I am more than a body. Mm. And I think that's another big lesson I can tell people before they start playing with their um, playing with their profile and, and you know dappling in even in a high performance sport. What's your goal? For mm. me, it was never to be a world class lifter. It was never for me to like you know step out on the platform. My goal was always that fitness and training and performance was my passion. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my life. It was my. Um, it was my release, it was my void, it was my therapy, but it never, even as a kid, was a goal to take, let it take over my life. Mm-hmm. It did for a couple of years in my early 20s. Um, I went down the whole like contest prep, you know, stupid, just so much cardio, but um, I went down that route just to see what it would be like. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I realized about five weeks out, I'm like, this is not my, like, this is not the life I want. This has never been part of my goals. And when I was faced with questions about, am I going to compete or am I going to like, you know, live my life? Am I going to go do academic conferences and the week before the show, am I going to actually be able to be with my parents who are moving across the country? Am I going to be able to go to a doctoral program as a master's student? Those were my goals. So for me, taking a step back and going like, peace out competing, you are not for me means to an end experiment that uh, I did, but that's just not me. Mm-hmm. The goal, so you do not have to compete to build a body. Mm-hmm. You do not have to compete to get stronger. You do not have to be able to compete to get to your optimal mm-hmm. or to challenge your own individual performance. Yeah. Competing is a, it's a, it's a constructed environment in which there is sometimes something to gain from this, mm-hmm. but really what, like a $5 trophy and some free supplements, like put all that, put all that, would... put your body through all that. And you know, it's the same. We always ask them. Yeah. It's very common. People oh, I want to do this comp. And it's like, why? Well, I want to be lean. Well then just be lean. Yeah, Don't worry about exactly. competing. And, and I mean, a lot of times people go to me, I've, like I can, I've trained anything from your novice level bikini to like Olympia and mm-hmm. Olympic competitors. Mm-hmm. And I, I ask the same types of questions and it's like, why are you competing? What are your other goals in life? 
Like, what are your goals outside of fitness? And if you don't have any, Lord help you. Like, if this is your life, if this is fully engulfed and, and just swallowed you up whole, you got to think about that. Because I'll have, let's say, women competitors that will come to me being like, I want to win the Olympia. And I go, okay, well, what are your other goals? Well, I want to be the best mom I can for my kids. And I'm like, those might not work together. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. those two things, for some people, they might be able to do it in tandem. But something always takes the top spot on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. Something always has to be that number one ranked goal. Mm-hmm. We pretend like we can multitask. Humans really can't. Mm-hmm. And we definitely can't multitask with our physiology and goals. Like, mm-hmm. it just does not work out that way. The and qu- so if that's the, your goal. What's the quote? Um, the man who chases two rabbits doesn't eat. Yeah. 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 And, and like, even with women, I mean, just kind of going back to try to really get out some of these myths and this background and things to think about is like androgens won't necessarily cause infertility mm-hmm. will they change the ways in which your body is in a fertile state yes absolutely will birth control do the same yes anytime you castrate that hpo access you're you're changing your your reproductive capabilities you're changing your your i can't think of almost like your affinity for fertility like you're changing that and this is for men and women so if you're changing that and you're saying to me i want to have kids later on in life you have to seriously ask yourself those questions well if you want kids later in life you are doing something right now that is counteractive to that Mm -hmm. now that doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to kickstart your body or be able to, um, you know, maintain some degree of health and then be able to ovulate again um, pretty close to after you stop competing. But what you're doing right now is counteractive to it. There are side effects that we don't know for you as an individual. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be able to know that and then to say to yourself, okay, well, here's my side effects. Here's my reward or my here my pro and con. Personally, I now know what I need to do to make this list and to have that serious decision to say, like, is this the right option for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, birth control is exactly the same. So a lot of times women go on birth control, not because it's for safe sex practices, but they go on it for like their menstrual cycle is irregular or it's heavy. They have dysmenorrhea. Ask yourself, number one, like, why is it that way? Mm-hmm. Why are you having heavy periods? Why are you having uh, dysregulation and cramping? A lot of times it's related to inflammation. So start to clean up your lifestyle. Start to get yourself those fundamentals, those foundations. Build your foundation first. And if you still have a heavy period, then we figure out why that's the case. Don't just slap a Band-Aid on it. Mm. Um, Competitors to general population we are an instant quick fix. That's why we're Dr. Googlers because we like to be able to go online. Like my whole house example, we like to be able to walk into the hospital and get exactly what's wrong with us and how to fix it. But mm-hmm. we, our body is not black and white. The world we live in is not black and white. Mm-hmm. And to be able to fully approach performance and high performance, in, and, and this comes to everything that's involved with high performance, you have to understand the variables that are involved to get you from where you are today to where you want to be, mm-hmm. where you are today to that goal, 
does that fit with your entire kind of like goal of life? Do you have other goals that you're working towards? Do you actually understand the ins and outs of what you're going to be doing to your body? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, a lifter gets under a squat rack and it is say their one rep. Mm -hmm. They don't feel great. They're having kind of an off day. We don't often think about it. And like, I know I, this, I would just probably never even attempted half the shit I did in the gym. If I would have said like, you know, there's actually a side effect to this. I could pop a knee out. Mm. Right. Cause that's gonna, what people like, I mean, sports psychologists have said like that will mind fuck us essentially that will change the way in which we actually approach the bar mm -hmm. that will have that fear. And sometimes you just can't have that fear. I try to not make this a fear driven conversation, mm -hmm. but I do think we need to talk about that. Mm -hmm. I do think we need to realize that when we do certain things, there are a risk and a reward. There's optimal and there's realistic. Would there's you, the pro and the con. Would you put that on a spectrum though? Like, I mean, we have some, Absolutely. we have some people who we try to pull away from that because they are in so much fear that we never mm -hmm. make progress. Absolutely. And that's where you have to look at it as a, as a, as a continuum. And it also is, like I said, on that given day, right? Like if you walk towards a bar and you're going like, I'm not feeling it today. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, why are you feeling it today? Mm -hmm. Is it a physiological underlying that maybe your nervous system is not where it needs to be? Maybe you're not actually doing like, you know, the basic lifestyle tenants. So you're just feeling off because of that. Then yeah, don't get under it. Mm -hmm. Don't get under that bar. But if you're doing that and this is simply you mind fucking yourself, then we need to work on that because mm -hmm. that will also be a detriment to your performance and you could blow your knee because of your brain, mm -hmm. um, creating a healthy, happy, holistic athlete that has a like lives with a wholeheartedness and is not trying to continually, um, I mean, manifest their insecurities, whether it's about the way that they look or the way they train, or, you know, they've got some complex, like mommy issue, daddy issue. And that's why they're lifting. Like if you're trying to create the healthiest lifter, you can, you really have to ask yourself these hard questions. You have to know them. It's hard, but it's worth it because this is how we build sustainable bodies. Mm -hmm. This is how we build bodies that actually are functioning in society. Mm -hmm. um, this is how we're able to bypass a lot of times the side effects of competing, mm -hmm. whether it is in powerlifting or bodybuilding or another sport altogether. Um, and that could be the same thing for, I mean, any type of high performance. If you want to take yourself to that next level, if you want to go from like, you know, being an optimal or average performer to being a like enhanced, the best you can be, you have to get uncomfortable. And a lot of times it's the uncomfortable stuff is seeing things in the, your past that were stupid that you did to your body, mm -hmm. seeing certain relationships that you've got to work on, whether it's your relationship with food, your relationship with, um, I mean, performance and just the aspect of like the mental fortitude that's required whether it's certain drug protocols you've done in the past, you have to come clean to yourself and usually to the people you're working with because you can't do this alone mm -hmm. to be able to then take yourself to that next level. Because if you try to just throw shit at the wall and expect it's going to stick, mm -hmm. you're going down fast. Mm -hmm. And it might work for a month or two or a cycle or two or a meet for two, but then things start to implode. Mm -hmm. Like that's when you're being constantly assaulted by that tornado and your house is just getting ravaged. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing left. Mm -hmm. um, that's the scary part of our industry. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that people don't talk about. 
And it's just, um, it's, that's it's, it's the like, underbelly. It's, it's the approach that we take with, you know, for someone like Sarah, for example. We're spending most of the year of just working with her being happy and in life, happy with training, enjoying training, because when comp prep starts, it's, it's going to be held, but she's well prepared for it. We yeah. know. And, and that, yeah. And those are like the realistic though. I mean, that's what I meant. That's what's optimal. What's realistic. Like I worked for a while. I had a couple of years ago now, I had a lot, quite a few competitors I was working with and um, a lot of females, a lot of really good female competitors figure, um, bikini, women's physique. And, they would lay out their, I would sit with them at the beginning of like their contest prep, which I really don't like the word contest prep. I, um, we live life and we decide to do a show. Like that's how it used to work for me. Mm. And, um, but we would be at the start of the season and it would be like, okay, well, what are your goals? Well, I have a family that I, they come first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what shows do you want to do? Well, I wanted to do the show in the summer. Well, you realize that your kids are going to be on summer vacation. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be the, the mom that is your goal, to be that person Mm -hmm. competing you're either going to have to take from other areas of your life to make competing happen Mm -hmm. whether that's your business your husband Mm -hmm. your family your friends to be able to do both because you can't do everything like Mm -hmm. i use either the metaphor of like some people call it like your daily pie or like your life pie i I mean pizza metaphor you could use whatever it is but it's like you've got only so many pieces to give out at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And if you're going into a, a, a season and you're already have zero pieces left, like where are you suddenly now going to have the time for recovery, mm-hmm. have the time for sleeping extra, have the time for food prep, have the time for training more hours. Where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. Like, and if you start your season at half, say half your, half your bio life is still there. Well, that's great. But how are you also going to ensure that you're going to be able to be a, like, well-rounded individual? Mm-hmm. You can't just go into the hermit hole um, and expect to come out healthy mentally. Mm-hmm. I am, I mean, I'm, I often compare athletes, like high-performance athletes, to high-performance, um, like, executives. Mm-hmm. Because, or people in, like, high-performance jobs. Because it is, a lot of times, it's the same mentality you can crawl into that rabbit hole of say um, for me as a researcher and I can crawl into that rabbit hole for weeks on end mm-hmm. giving everything I've got for my half a pie but am I going to be happy mm-hmm. when it's all said and done and I've like accomplished that goal am mm-hmm. I still going to be able to know who I am because I've now invested 50% of my efforts 50% of my my life energy towards that mm-hmm. and now that it's done who am I mm-hmm. like where's my other sense of self mm-hmm. um have I maintained the other things that are important to me in my life? Mm-hmm. As high performance athletes, there are certain um, decisions that have to be made and certain things that we have to put priority over. We have to often put priority in our performance and in our goals, but we have to also make that conscious decision of, okay, why am I doing this? How am I doing this? And what am I going to do at the end? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know about you guys, but for me, post show, post meet, post event, it is like the most important time to work with an athlete. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I'm, I'm prepping people for after their, what they do after their comp many months in advance. Exactly. I start, you know, first of all, preparing their body for it and then mental, pre- mental preparation. I actually just talked about this in my last, my last, um, in my last podcast. And, uh, we had one of our coaches who just finished a prep and he realized after that, I was already prepping his mind 
um, about three or four months in advance and he was ready to do everything properly to finish the competition or after the competition. And now he is loving life. I mean, he's managed to keep his condition. He's training three days a week. He's eating as much as he, as he likes. And it's, he's functioning normally and it's only been what 12 weeks after his comp and he won his comp as well mm -hmm. so i mean well, it was two years of preparation we built a solid foundation and yeah so everything you're pre everything you're talking about now mm -hmm. well and that's like that's one of the things i see even with people um i guess uh, my tornado metaphor is the best way to, i can explain this is it's like if you have to weather the storm and if that tornado is going to hit you and say you, you don't have maybe all of your physiological foundations and you might walk away from that comp or from that um, experience with either injury or some type of like physiological issue happening. Do you have enough of a sense of yourself to be able to be okay with that kind of that, that process afterwards of rebuilding? Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, like I'm going to use like I'm trying to speak in metaphor because I don't want to come right out there with the hard balls but oh, I'm going to do it because it's the only way I can if you are a female and you do not have a sense of self-confidence self-worth um, body kind of confidence and perspective of who you are and that you're not just you know your ass and abs if you go into a contest and if you come out of that and you have to gain a bit of weight um, to be able to get healthy again mentally do you have the tools needed to get you through that why do you have low confidence in the first place why do you have these feelings of inferiority what are you actively doing to work on it i find right now you go on instagram and you see so many female former competitors that have walked away from competing that don't even get me started. They blame competing for all of the ills of their evil that's going on in their life right now. But they also haven't actively, so they, they've accepted this, this kind of shit storm, but then they don't actually do anything about it. Mm -hmm. They just say like, Oh, it's like my body's messed up. And here's, oh, I hate this. The picture of my digestion before I eat mm -hmm. and after I eat and look at how bloated I am. But I'm like, what are you doing to fix that? Mm -hmm. Like, you could admit that you have low self-esteem. You can admit that you have um, an issue with food, but now you have to move forward from that. Mm -hmm. I like action. I like. I don't just like talk. Talk is that was the same. Talk is cheap. Well, no, talk is actually really, really valuable. But action also is really, really valuable. Mm -hmm. So with our lifters and with our athletes, being able to say like, okay, you know that you are, um, I mean, a type A personality, you go all into events, you put everything you have in that, that's awesome. Hardcore, cool. But what are you doing to help create like the yin, mm -hmm. right? Yin and yang. What are you doing to also make sure that you're relaxing? Mm -hmm. What are your actual action steps? Don't just tell me you're going to go relax on the weekend. Mm -hmm. Like that's whole smart goal formula, like apply that to the other things in your life. Mm -hmm. If you know that you have certain say, um, menstrual or reproductive dysfunction if you can mm -hmm. cognitively say hey i haven't had a period in like six months well why and what do you do about it mm -hmm. like don't just sit there and cross your fingers and cross your toes and hope that it's going to come back mm -hmm. doing the exact same stuff that you've been doing and if you then hop into a contest prep why is that going to help you like why is that going to help it come back mm -hmm. um if you're going to go on certain compounds is that actually going to help it come back mm -hmm. 
And do you know what's going to happen if you don't have a menstrual cycle now moving forward? Like, do you, like I said, do you know the effects of that on fertility? And if you're somebody that wants to have kids, have you taken that into consideration? Have you thought about stuff like bone density? Have you thought about stuff like your cholesterol levels? Having um, like an ovulation or menstruation is only one sign that your body is not healthy, but it is an incredibly important sign. Mm-hmm. But there's also other variables you have to check on. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes kind of back to my whole invincibility complex and that people aren't having the conversations about the side effects, mm-hmm. um, especially men and women when it comes to steroids because they think that what the doctors have said is all bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's like because doctors have created that kind of that scare tactic around anabolics that no, what, what, like whatever they say is now bad, it's wrong, it's evil. And I'm like, no, actually, there is some... There is some stuff that actually makes sense here. Like mm-hmm. anytime you screw up your endocrine, your cholesterol is also going to get shifted. Anytime that you do that, you're also going to have issues usually with um, methylation and metabolism. Your liver is going to be also off. Your blood count's going to be off. Look at yourself, but also look at the research. Look at look at the drugs you're taking. Get your blood works done. Get your labs done. See what's actually going on. And then even if it's messed up, like my whole thing about forms, it's like, a lot of those guys will, sh- will post their blood work <laughs> and it will be so messed up and they'll be like, yeah, bro, I came out of this healthy. And I'm like, no, bro, like you did not come out of this healthy. Um, it, yeah, and you came out of it a complete train wreck, but now you think you're going to teach somebody else how to do this better <laughs> than you? Like, yeah, I mean, and doctors we will, picked a and, very convoluted topic. <laughs> and doctors will prescribe the pill like candy. Oh, for sure. And mm. different countries around the world, I do, because I, I, it's not that I work with people all over the world, and um, there's certain drugs, too, with certain birth controls that are um, more readily prescribed in certain countries, um, and then there's also certain conversations. Like, when we think about reproductive choice, so the pill itself is a highly, highly controversial subject mm. um, because you overlap things about religion. Mm-hmm around morals and ethics um i mean even in the states it was not allowed until the 1960s so 1961 um and the first clinical trials had to be done in puerto rico because the legislation in the u.s did not allow for them not because of safety it was because of religion Mm -hmm. it was because of ideas around reproductive choice and um i mean controlling reproduction and so depending on who you are, who your doctor is, it's going to totally change the conversations you have around reproductive infertility um, and reproductive rights, contraception. Um, And so, like, I was just in Ireland speaking at an event, at a two-day event at the Irish Strength Institute, and um, talking to women after my first talk, like my first day that I presented, and having women coming up to me and being like, I didn't even know there were other forms of like, I thought there was just condoms and birth control pill. Mm. I didn't know there was other types of contraceptives. I was like, Oh my goodness. I'm like, well, did you go to your family physician? Well, yeah, but I also went to like the community health center and I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like <laughs> there is so many other things that a community health center should be telling you about contraceptive and mm. they should not just be throwing a pill at you, but you mix in, like I said, all those different, Back at the backstory of these drugs into the equation, you mix in also things around like I mean, just the the stronghold that certain say pharmaceutical companies will have 
over other pharmaceutical companies. And so you might have a pill um, that's got, let's say, low-dose estrogen, low-dose progesterone, um, but it's the, the pharmaceutical company itself has not gone and worked specifically, like has not given that a specific doctor um, the free samples and the marketing materials and everything else. Like maybe that they just have never got there. And you have this other company that they have a different pill that's like higher estrogen and an anti-androgen. And that company has been working with that doctor for years. Mm-hmm. The one pill is going to be prescribed to that individual over the other one because that's like, I mean, that relationship is just not there. That doctor does not have knowledge probably as um, as much knowledge of the progesterone and estrogen as, as they have over the estrogen and anti-androgen. The relationship is different. So then what you as a female going into that office are going to get is going to be influenced by something like that that you don't even think about when you're there as a patient. Mm. Like, that doesn't even cross your mind. Um, so going back to, like, research and information literacy, and by research, get a wide range of sources. Mm-hmm. Like, if I were to say... Um, i got to try to think of a, a controversial thing I can say that's not going to get me into too much trouble. If I were to say... Um, I, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West divorced and you're a big like Kardashian family fan you're probably not going to take my word as gospel you're going to go check out online check out all like the you know the trashy news websites see what's going on go on their Instagram you know you're going to go and try to find out as much research as you can to validate what I say mm-hmm. you're not going to just take it and then go online and be like oh my gosh like, Kim K and Kanye have divorced. Like, you're not going to, hopefully you're not going to do that. Hopefully you know, because you're just so invested in this. Mm-hmm. It means so much to you that you now need to validate what I've said. And you're not going to do it just with one source. Because it's too hard to believe. you got to check out, like, 15 different sources from all of these different mediums mm. to validate and confirm. We don't do that with, like, you know, contest prep, steroids, um, birth control, all these different topics we've been talking about, we take one person's word as gospel. Mm-hmm. And even if I said, like, hey, yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm related to her, it's like, why would you believe that I'm related to her? Why would you take my word as gospel? Mm. And coaches these days go, like, well, I create champions. I did, you know, whatever education on this. Oh, I've mentored this person. Oh, I, I won Mr. Uh, universe in this year and that year and it's like why am I believing and even if that's the case even if those are the actual like you know they've, they've got some background why like, what does that background actually do mm. does it provide them with the knowledge that they need for me to trust them with my body mm. you have one body you don't get a second chance mm. it's a you very can't big do very... endocrine hormone like you know endocrine system and neurotransmitter uh, overhauls, and even if you do, it, it's not that simple. It's, it's really complicated, even when you go on something like hormone replacement therapy. Mm. It's really complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people really do need to think about think about this a lot more. And I think this is what hopefully this uh, podcast can do, is to at least get people to think more before they jump into something that yeah. is... Well, have you ever heard the saying... Um, Measure twice, cut once. No, I haven't. Okay, so that is... So my my father, um, he is like, a, I guess, a hobbyist in woodworking. Mm. And growing up, I remember... I remember I was like 
trying to make a diorama or something in like the second grade. Mm. Um, and I was getting his help on it. And I was just want, I just want to get done. I was like, I don't want to do this stupid project. It's the weekend. Like, I just want to go outside and play. And so I was rushing it. And mm. I ended up just like totally screwing it up bawled my eyes out, like, ran to my dad for help, and my dad was like, well, what did you do wrong? Like, why did you... And what happened was, is I, I was, I rushed it, so I tried to just eyeball, mm. and I made a cut in the wrong place, and I ended up, it just, like, I trashed this stupid thing. <laughs> um, and I just bawled my eyes out, and my dad was like, to me, he's like, well, did you measure before you cut? And I was like, no. He was like, okay, so the golden rule for him of woodworking was always to measure twice cut once because once you cut if you cut too short you can't add wood onto that piece like sometimes that will make it so you gotta go get a new piece of wood and you have to start all over again um when if you met and if you cut too long well most of the time that's okay because you can cut again mm. you give yourself even a little bit too much and so as a kid that stuck with me for everything like from baking to um, I mean, doing certain things for homework and school-related to just, like, things I did in my hobbies. And that still lingers in my career today in that it's... When I research, I validate. Mm. I retest so many times different variables, and I critically think about things before I put information out there to the world. Mm-hmm. Or before I work with a... Um, Sometimes I'll do consulting with certain businesses, and before I give them my final recommendations on something, I've not only gone through the, a rigorous data process of collection and, I mean, all the things that are involved with that, but I've also then made sure my results can be redone, right, retest. They can be replicated. That's a big thing in scientific method, and actually when we do research is can your methods be replicated? And I've also just double and triple checked things. When we manipulate anything, we have to make sure that what we're doing is right for that person. And I mean, even just calculating one rep maxes, like, have you relied on an app? And is that actually the right math that that app has done? Mm. If you're relying on a, a spreadsheet, have you checked your formulas? Have you checked your equations? If you're looking at somebody's blood work and you're trying to say to them, like, if you're going to diagnose somebody in medicine, say, with some rare illness, are you just going to do the, a blood test once? Mm. Or are you going to do a blood test more than once at different points in time? And are you also then going to do other testing to help validate? And then you might diagnose somebody with something. Mm-hmm. But that diagnosis will still come with the caveat of there still might be other things going on. Mm. So I guess as a, as a piece of advice, is it just measure more than once yep. and then cut if you have to, <laughs> okay. right? Like you don't always have to then manipulate, Yeah. but there is something to be said about knowing what you're actually working with uh, and knowing it as detailed and as in depth that you know why those like certain lab values are the way they are. Mm. Um, why does that, say female in particular, have really skewed levels of LH hormones, of luteinizing hormone. Know why. Don't mm. just assume. Mm. This conversation can go on forever, can't it? I, I know. You, well, you opened up a can of worms, and I told you that you were going to do that. That the, This is a topic that, like, as I hope your listeners can kind of hear, is that I am incredibly passionate about it because I've lived it 
in so many different aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, I was that person that was put on an oral contraceptive pill at 13 years old by her family physician, mm-hmm. not because of safe sex practices, but because I had heavy periods and I was a high performance athlete. Mm-hmm. I was that person that had an eating disorder that had complete, complete exercise addiction and just my own mental demons at a very young age. Mm. Um, and that then when I found weightlifting and I got healthy and I got off the pill, I thought I was fine. I was like, okay, this is great. Mm. Two years later, my body blew up on me. Um, the, the lingering effects, I thought I was in the clear, but I mean, my journey was only just getting started, and a lot of it was because I, when I was put on the pill, my reproductive function wasn't, it, I was at the cusp of it, I was still getting started. Um, my foundations were not there from a, from a hormonal adaptation. My endocrine system was not formed, and then I started manipulating it. Um, and manipulating came from multiple different aspects. It came from competing, it came from the pill, it came from... Um, under eating, over training, it came from life stresses and also underlying health problems that I, I, I genetically have. Um, and so when my body blew up on me, I then started a different journey because then it was going through medicine and bouncing from specialist to specialist to specialist and always being told, like, we don't know what's going on with you. Or, I mean, I, gosh, I got so many stories because, like, one endocrinologist and metabolism doc I saw was like, well, you're just overeating. That's your problem. And I was like, oh, really? Like, <laughs> you want to go that route? Um, so I said to her when she did my blood work, I, I'm like, run a full panel. Like, run everything. But if I have to, like, you know, pay for it out of my own money, I, I will do that. Mm. Um, she ran everything and came back in the, my follow-up appointment. She apologized to me. She's like, I've never seen anybody that is has their lipids as healthy as you, has all of their nutrients as good and, like, in the good status as you. And that then has their cortisol and their endocrine values as messed up as you. Mm. Um, she was like, I'm sorry, I, I assumed. And I'm like, yeah, you also assumed, though, to somebody that ha- used to have anorexia and bulimia. Mm. Um, and that is, I'm glad I have the mental fortitude to get through that. But, I mean, that was just one example of, I went through seven specialists over the course of two years. Mm. Um, and so I went through that world. I was diagnosed with um, anything from Addison's disease to Cushing's disease, to, I mean, uh, I had one thought, at one point they thought I had a pituitary tumor. I was told I was never going to be able to have kids. Uh, hysterectomy was going to be needed. Uh, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian, which is, uh, and I won't get into that today because that's another hot topic, yeah. but like, um, I do have polycystic ovarian syndrome, but I also have, uh, I don't like that term. I have aovulatory androgen excess. I have a genetic predisposition for um, insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes, and I also have a, an endocrine, some other endocrine markers that are shifted for whatever reason um, that I still deal with today, and I manage all, every single day. I have a thyroid that is doesn't really work at all anymore. Um, so I, I've gone through the gauntlet. I've gone through the ringer. I've gone through the contest prep world, and looking back, um, with all my sage wisdom at, you know, the, the, the ripe age of 29 now, um, I can look back and just see what's going on in this industry. Cause like mm-hmm. I said, I got started in it when I was 15 mm-hmm. and I've seen a lot of change, but right now yeah. what's happening is scary. 
because I can look at my own story and I can see women that are walking into this their their own little shitstorm without even realizing it. Mm. Women that are manipulating their hormones without realizing what's going on first. Mm-hmm. Um, women that are putting everything they have into their bodies. Mm-hmm. Women that are going to doctors and taking their a doctor's word as gospel and then feeling broken getting this diagnosis like polycystic and feeling like it's a death sentence Mm -hmm. because they don't understand the complexity of what's actually going on with their physiology Mm -hmm. um, and not challenging it, Mm -hmm. not realizing that there's things that they can be actively doing to get healthy and to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, And so our industry right now is broken. Mm. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to get out of this but I do know that more of us need to be talking about it yes. and being critical of our own actions, our own words, and those of others in order for us to get out of this shitstorm. Mm-hmm. And it's podcasts like this and hopefully gets people to critically think more about their decisions. So I, I think, hope so. Mm. I hope it's going to help with something because it's, uh, uh, I mean, God, we, we've had our own conversations about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. It's, Oh, there's so much it's more. There's so much. There's so much I'd like. There's so much I'd like to talk about, and um, but I mean, we we only got what, and now what? We're now 90, 90 minutes in, so maybe we should uh, wrap it up. Um, do you have any like final things or advice to women deciding who are on or want to go on or want to come off? I know that's probably a big freaking thing, <laughs> big oh, question as yeah, well. But. I mean, in as few words as I can, it's just remembering that like a lot of stuff we talked about in this podcast is who you are today is not who you're going to be tomorrow and it's not who you were yesterday. So realize that you can't constantly compare your body, whether it's the how it's working physiologically to how it looks um, or how it performs. You can't constantly be comparing yourself to the old you. Mm-hmm. Um, you also, though, have to recognize that you can learn and you should be learning from you know, your past, mm-hmm. tracking everything. If you don't have a good grasp of your body, you need to track. Mm-hmm. It's no different than when people first kind of get into clean, like how to eat clean or how to eat proper, and they have to literally be told how to do it everything. Like, you mm-hmm. know, they're, they've got the list of the good foods and the bad foods and the macros mm-hmm. and this and that, and then as you get more into it, you don't have to do that anymore because you learn. You, it's, a, it's a teaching tool. It's it's like doing math. I mean, mm-hmm. go back to elementary school and realize that when you had first learned how to do two plus two, you had to do like the whole dot theory and count it out on your fingers mm-hmm. and toes. But then now, hopefully, you can do it in your head. There was a point that you then used a calculator, and then from the calculator, you graduated to doing it in your head. You no longer had to write it out. Eating, training, biofeedback. It's the same thing. You will need to track this stuff at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You will need to get a, better, a really good grasp. And if it's something that you're really struggling with, like say, uh, I mean, menstrual cycle, you might have to track that for years. And it's actually amazing data to mm-hmm. track for you to be able to actually manipulate it in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. If you're not looking to manipulate it, if you're looking to optimize it, it's going to be a different protocol. Mm-hmm. If you're looking to get off a certain compound, it's going to be a different protocol. If you're looking at it to do something else, it's going to be a different process and protocol for you as an individual. Um, so that is also incredibly important, and I cannot stress that enough, is that if you are a female, you have to look at that. You also need to look at 
what have you done to your endocrine system over time? Mm. Um, we're born with a certain amount of eggs, and that's kind of our that's our ovarian reserve, and that maintains us all the way through our life cycle and lifespan until we're um, in menopause, which is one year after perimenopause, so that's after your last period. Um, the age of this totally depends on the individual, but later on in life. Mm-hmm. So you have this ovarian reserve, you start puberty at a certain age. Now, when you start puberty, this kind of speeds up and expedites this process because you're now getting infiltrated with hormones. So what have you done from that first date of men are here, that first date of menses to today that's going to influence how you have a menstrual cycle? Mm-hmm. Have you had high levels of stress in your life? Have you had disordered eating? Have you been and you know? And have you overtrained? Have you ever had a regular cycle? Do you know that you're ovulating? Have you manipulated your your cycle through the use of birth control or an IUD, pregnancy, um, miscarriages, lactation drugs, Plan B? Like, what have you done from an exogenous standpoint? outside of PEDs to manipulate your menstrual cycle. Mm. Take that into account. Ask yourself, like, have I actually ever had a regular period? And if I haven't, well, why was that the case? Mm-hmm. Um, don't settle for just, you know, not knowing and then try to manipulate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are then going off something, realize it's going to be, a, it's going to be a process, whether that's birth control or um, getting off a certain uh, performance compound. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a long one. It is going to be something that you need to work at every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the same, like if I were to say, I mean, try to go, go off one of my meds I'm on from having um, insulin resistance, it's going to be a long process. Mm-hmm. And my body might still not be able to sustain itself without that med. I, for me personally, I've tried to go off it lots of times. I can't because it just messes up everything because it's a genetic underlying thing that until my life becomes mm-hmm. um, that's that's I mean that's the reality for me as an individual mm-hmm. is it right or wrong no it's neutral I mean if somebody needs to be on something to make them healthy that's that's a neutral mm-hmm. but if that same compound is making them unhealthy you also then have to counterbalance the effects of it mm-hmm. so if you're a female and you're on birth control say for safe sex practices I'm not going to tell you to go off of it but I will tell you that there are things you have to do to buffer the effects of it. Mm-hmm. Just like there are things that you do when you get under that squat rack that you do to buffer the effects of it or to make it better, to make it sustainable. You're doing mobility. You're doing prehab. You're warming yourself up. You're taking and doing recovery methods because you're not expecting you to be able to achieve optimal results if you don't do those things. Mm-hmm. Don't expect to achieve optimal health if you're not buffering the effects of whatever you're doing to take away your health. Mm-hmm. So I guess those are my, my biggest pieces <laughs> of advice I can offer somebody. And then I just know that you're more than a body. Mm. If you can start to see what you are for more than a body or more than an athlete, more than a record, yep. more than a trophy, this whole process is a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. Thank you so much for you're coming welcome. onto my podcast. It, this could go on forever so hopefully we can do another one down the track absolutely <laughs> and, I absolutely. Hope, and I really hope that um, just at least helps people second guess or, say, or think about what they're doing so, me too alright thank you thank you
Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you wish to contact me, please email me, gus, G-U-S, at musclenerd.com.au.